All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the book of Acts, chapter number 4. Acts chapter number 4. As you're turning there, uh, in, in 2 Timothy chapter number 3, it describes times, uh, the end times, really. And it starts off uh, saying, in the last days, perilous times shall come. And then it gives a list of things to watch for and things that will take place. And one of the, one of the problems that are listed in that list, or one of the things, rather, that we should watch for in that list, is, is has this in verse number 5, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. And, uh, and I don't, uh, I know I've, I've preached on that passage before. I undoubtedly will preach on that passage again. It's a very impactful passage. But one of the things that always concerns me about that is, is I take it as a warning to myself and to our church and to every Christian. I think we ought to take a warning that we don't want to fall into the category of, of having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. In other words, that we would just go through the motions of Christianity, but God would not be real to us. That's a dangerous place to be. And, and I don't want to fall in that category. I don't want that to happen to us. I don't want us to have that problem in our life. And, and so this morning, I want to preach on powerful Christianity. Powerful Christianity. I was reading, and uh, and I'll just mention this as well. Uh, I was challenged at the beginning of the month of January to read the entire New Testament through in the month of January, and and I tell you what, it's been a uh, it's been a, a process, and it's been a lot of work to to stay on top of that. And uh, I've I'm a little bit behind. Uh, I'll confess to you, uh, but I've been trying to stay on top of it. And and you say, well, you know, you're a pastor. You come sit in your office and read your Bible. Oh, do I ever wish that were true? Do I ever wish that were true? No, I, I'll tell you this. I, 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 for my personal sake, I have to read my Bible before I come to the office for me. And, and that's what I do. And so I strive to read my Bible outside of work times. And so, uh, oh, yes, I study my Bible. Yes, I read my Bible at work. But, but that's, that's a different from my own personal life. And so uh, I'll just say this, that, hey, listen, that, that you, I encourage you to read your Bible every day. Uh, read it before work, read it after work. Uh, in my case, I've been reading it before work, and when I go home on my lunch break, I'll read a little bit on my lunch break, and when I go home at night, I'll read a little bit at night, and boy, that's about the only way I, I'm able to get all of the reading done so that I can get through the entire New Testament in, in 30 days, and I've really enjoyed it, and it's been a blessing to me. I, I've never heard somebody say, man, I read the whole Bible, and man, I wish I hadn't have done that. I've never heard somebody say, I read the New Testament, man, it just was a pain, I didn't enjoy it. Um, no, everyone that, that reads the Bible and puts any effort into reading the Bible will be blessed by it. It's a promise out of the Word of God. And, and so you cannot go wrong reading the Word of God. But I don't want to be, that has absolutely nothing to do with the message. I don't even know how I got off on that. But I don't want to be a powerless Christian. And I want, I want all of us to be powerful Christians. 
And so I want to look at the idea of powerful Christianity this morning. In Acts chapter number 4, uh, I wish we had time to read all of this passage, Acts chapter number 3 and Acts chapter number 4, but for sake of time we do not. And, uh, and I want to give you just the idea of what's going on. In Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, Peter and John are going up to, and to the temple at a time of prayer, and a man was healed as they went by. And uh, that's a fascinating uh, story, and I love reading about it. In Acts chapter 3 and verse number 11, uh, because this man was healed, a large crowd of people are gathered around and they're now looking at, at Paul and John. And look in Acts chapter number 3 in verse number 12, uh, the Bible says this, and when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this, or why look ye so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? Isn't that a fascinating verse? He's saying, hey, as though you look at us as though we have the power to do these things. And that's basically what Paul is saying. Uh, in Acts chapter number 3 and verse number 13, really through the end of that chapter, then Paul, or Peter, excuse me, preaches a, a phenomenal message out of the Old Testament passage and goes through a lot of history, uh, but preaches out of the Word of God. Look with me in Acts chapter number 4 and verses 1 and 2. The Bible says, And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captains of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, look at verse number 2, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And listen, sometimes when we open the Word of God and sometimes when we proclaim the message of salvation, some people will take offense and be grieved at the message of salvation. Not everyone's going to appreciate what we do. Not everyone's going to appreciate what we say. Not everyone's going to appreciate the Word of God. And we find here that Peter and John ran into opposition. And matter of fact, the Bible says in verse number 3 there uh, that they basically put them in, in a prison overnight. They held them overnight. And, uh, and they reconvened in the morning. Look with me at verse number 5. We'll kind of read that. The Bible says, And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were of the kindred of the high priests were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, that would be Paul and, or Peter and John, excuse me, I keep saying Paul, it's Peter and John. When they had set them in the midst, they asked by isn't this interesting? By what power or by what name have ye done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him from the dead, uh, excuse me, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone 
which was set at naught of you builders, which is become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And let's just stop right there and let's look at this text this morning. Before we do, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you, Father, for the privilege to be in your house. God, I pray that you would use me. God, I pray that you would speak through me as we think about this idea of powerful Christianity. God, it is not in us. It is not in our flesh. It is not in our own wisdom. It is not in our own abilities. God, that we would be powerful, but it lies with you. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to plug in. I pray, Father, that you would help us to become attached to your power. And God, that our life could be effective and our Christianity could be powerful and represented. And God, that, that your name and that you would be known. And Father, we'll certainly thank you for that. God, I pray that you'd speak to hearts as only you can. And God, I ask all of these things in Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. As we think about this passage, I want us to think about this question what kind of power do we have? And are we powerful Christians? We read this text and, and really it's quite a fascinating and amazing text that we read. And listen, I know this and I understand this. We're not all pastors. I get that. We're not all called to preach. I get that. But listen, you don't have to be a pastor and you don't have to be a preacher and you don't have to be a, a Bible college graduate to be a powerful Christian. It's not a requirement. Matter of fact, uh, we are all called to be powerful Christians. We are all called to have an influence in this world. And, and there's, there's quite a bit of text here as we look at this that we can draw some keys of what we need to do in our life to be powerful Christians. And that's what I want to focus on this morning. That's what I want us to see so that we don't become, as the Bible says, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. I want you to notice the first thing in verse number 13. I absolutely love this verse. The Bible says there in verse number 13, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. They marveled. I love this phrase, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Hey, one of the very first keys that I believe to a powerful Christian is, is walking with the Savior. I want you to think about the life of, of Peter and of John, and specifically of Peter. As you look at Peter's life, uh, we... we, we Peter gets a lot of uh, uh, pokes because he's, he's outspoken in life. 
And so we poke our finger at him for this, and we poke our finger at him for that. And, and Peter certainly was an outspoken person, and he was kind of a, a personality that stood out. You, you heard Peter before you saw Peter. You knew Peter was in the room because he was probably laughing or talking. But I want you to notice this, that really Peter was a simple fisherman. And, and sometimes uh, we, we don't think about that. Uh, listen, if you're going to be a fisherman in life, this is not a slight. This is just a fact, especially in Bible times. Hey, reading, writing, and arithmetic were not real important. It was more important that you, could, that you could throw a net, that you could draw a net, that you could mend a net, that you could navigate the waters in a boat, and, and that you could uh, read the weather and say, hey, uh, listen, some, some bad weather's coming, we need to get off, and that you would know where the fish were. All of those things were far more important. And sometimes in 2023, we put more of an importance on, on education. And we put more of an importance on systems and programs and all of that. And listen, I'm not saying, I'm not against education. I believe in education. I, I believe in programs. But when our focus and when our importance becomes those programs and those are the mode and those are the means that create powerful Christianity, we certainly have a problem because they're not. It's not just a simple, you do this, you do this, you do this, and God comes down. That's not how it works in Scripture. And we need to understand that uh, because, listen, so many times we're, we're torn to that idea. But I want you to notice this about the life of Peter and John. And this is what they noticed. This is what the religious leaders took note of them. They, they noticed first and foremost that they were ignorant and unlearned. Uh, they were not people who had been educated. They were not your polished preachers. They were not your people who had, who had gone through the finest of institutes. But they were just common people. But I want you to notice this about them. And this is what they noticed is that they had been with Jesus. Hey, far more important than your education far more important than your accomplishments, far more important than the programs that we have, and far more important than anything else. This is the, the first and foremost basic necessity for every Christianity, to, for every Christian to have powerful Christianity. You must spend time with Jesus. There's no two ways about it. You cannot get away from that. You find that, uh, that, that Peter and John and all of these disciples, hey, they traveled for three and a half years with Jesus day in and day out. They spent time with Him. And listen, we don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us everything that they did. John ends his gospel saying, hey, uh, the, the pages would not us allow, uh, allow us to, to write everything that took place, but rather that this is the idea of the things. Hey, there were times when Jesus and his disciples traveled from Jerusalem uh, all the way up to, uh, to Tiberias, and it would, it would require a week of travel of which they would walk, and you could imagine that they would be talking all along the way, that they would be, be receiving instruction, and that they would be learning from Jesus as they went from place to place for three and a half years. I'm not that fast with math, so I'll just do it this way. 
300 days in a year because 65 is going to mess us all up. For three years, that's 900 days that they spent with Jesus Christ. Surely it was over a thousand that they had spent with Jesus Christ. And I'm just saying there is no substitute for spending time with Jesus Christ. Hey, they spent time with him. They noticed. You ever notice that everyone is looking for a shortcut today? I mean, I, I, growing up, my, uh, we, as we would travel, um, my dad had become known for shortcuts. And shortcuts never saved us time and we're never shorter. I don't know, you ever had that in your life? I mean, you're like, man, I remember one time I took a shortcut with my family. We were in Peru and, and, and we looked on the map and we're like, look, surely that's shorter. And it cuts off all this distance and we travel. It wasn't, it wasn't shorter and, uh, and it took us longer and, uh, and it wasn't a good idea. And, and we're always looking for shortcuts. You ever read, you ever watch these commercials or you listen to these commercials? Oh, you can, you can lose weight in just five minutes a day. Don't suffer. No, none of this. I mean, it's a shortcut. That's what it is. That's what they're trying to sell you. You can, you can learn. You ever see these? I, I like languages because I've learned a couple. But, but you ever see these? Oh, you can learn this language in just five minutes a day. It's a lie. You can't learn a language in five minutes a day. You have to put in time. It takes effort. It takes work to lose weight. It takes time. It takes effort. There's no shortcuts. You ever see these things? Boy, you can get rid It drives me crazy on TV. They're all advertising this gambling. Just $5 and boy, you can get rich. There's no $5 get rich. There's no five minute learn this. There's no five minutes a day and, and lose all this weight. Listen, everyone is trying to look for shortcuts and find easy ways to go about doing what they want to accomplish in the shortest amount of time that is possible. But the bottom line is you can't. It doesn't save you time. And we carry that over into Christianity. And we say, you know what? Just five minutes a day with the Lord. Hey, listen, there is no shortcut to powerful Christianity. I can assure you, Peter, James, John, all the disciples didn't get up and say, okay, just five minutes with Jesus Christ today, and then the rest of the day we're going to go off and I'm going to go fishing and you collect your taxes and you go do this and you go do that. No, no, no. They didn't, they didn't try and cut their time down to the bare minimal that they had with Jesus Christ and say, hey, that's all we have, that's all we're going to do, and we're going to go do other things. No they lived day in and day out with Jesus Christ. You say, preacher, I work a job. I realize that, but did you know you can take Jesus Christ to work with you? He'll go with you. He'll be there. Hey, you can think about him throughout the day and, and you can think about him in the car and I'm just saying there's no shortcut to greatness in anything. You ask any of the professional athletes, I don't care if they're uh, Major League Baseball, NFL, uh, uh, hockey, uh, any of the uh, Olympian athletes, oh, how did you get to this greatness? Well, just five minutes a day. That's all I did. 
That ain't true. Not one of them will tell you that. They eat, breathe, sleep, whatever it is that they are good at to the point that they become the absolute best in that area. It is so much part of their life that it, that it changes their diet. It changes their, their, their day flow. It changes everything because they want to be the absolute best in whatever it is that they're trying to get to. Sports players, you look at billionaires, you look at successful business owners, they will all tell you that they invest time, there's no shortcuts to get to the top, it requires a lot of work, it requires a lot of energy, it requires a lot of effort, and I'm just telling you that we read through these, and we look at Peter, and we look at John, and we look at Paul, and we look at all of these, and we say, man, I, I want to be like them. Hey, listen, they put in time to get to where they were. It didn't just happen. It was not an accident. They walked with the Savior. Not only did the disciples spend time with Jesus, but I want you to notice this as well. They served Jesus. He sent them out to preach. He sent them out for errands. You remember they, they had to go get the donkey. You remember they had to go to the upper room. You remember they had to go get the fish and pull his money out of his mouth so that they could pay their taxes. You remember that they were the ones that were distributing the bread to the 5,000. You'll remember that they were the ones that, that made all that crowd sit down in the first place. You'll remember that they did this and they did that and probably it was them uh, that, that got, went and got the water pots when Jesus converted the water to wine. And I'm just saying that they were busy and they were involved in what Jesus was involved in. And I'm just saying, not only did they spend time, but they served Jesus for those three and a half years. And you know what? I've often thought this ever since I've been, I guess, in college. In college, uh, I, I, I had friends and, and I thought, well, why... Why are these people my friends? And you know what I narrowed down to? Because we serve together on the bus route. Because we have the same classes together. Because we work together, we serve together, we were together. You know when you work alongside somebody, you actually, you grow to like them. They become your friend. And, and you spend time with them. Hey, listen, if we're serving alongside Jesus Christ, you know what's going to happen? He's going to become important to us. We're going to think about him. Well, well, this is the way that Jesus would do things. And listen, those disciples, they served with Jesus. And because they spent time with Jesus and because they served Jesus, you know what happened? They grew to love Jesus Christ. They were all different. You think about the personalities. John the Beloved, I kind of think he was more of a quiet, subdued kind of guy. Peter was more boisterous and bold and outgoing. And, and yet, even in their different personalities, even in their different functions as disciples, hey, they all grew to love Jesus Christ. Why? Because they spent time with Jesus. Hey, we've got to spend time with the Savior. We have got to walk with the Savior. If we're going to have powerful Christianity, hey, there is no shortcuts. There's no way to get around it. It has to be time spent with the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to notice this about the disciples too. I overlooked this, but listen, it was both public and private that they were with Jesus Christ. It wasn't just in public. 
Oh, Jesus had his little thing, and so all the disciples show up, and, and then when it was over, they all just leave, and they all go their own ways. No, they spent time with him publicly and privately. Listen, if our only time with Jesus is during church services and public events, we have a problem. If our only time with Jesus, the adverse of that is true too. If, our, if we only spend time with Jesus in private and never out in public, hey, there is a problem. And I'm just saying because we know that they spent time both privately with Jesus and publicly with Jesus. And we need to spend time or walk with the Savior. Go back to our text, Acts chapter number 4, and I want you to notice this. The Bible says this in verse number 7. They had called Peter in and John after they kept them all night because they, they witnessed this fella and, and, and they were, rather they healed this fella and his life was changed and, and all these people got saved there and, and we find that they brought them in in verse number 7 and when they had set them in the midst, they asked them, by what power or by what name have ye done this? I love this in verse number 8. Then Peter, watch this, filled with the Holy Ghost, said to them, and he goes on and he preaches right to those guys that are trying him. Now you think about this. Not only did they spend time with Jesus, they walked with Jesus for the three and a half years. I want you to notice this, that Peter walked in the Spirit. What does that mean? We'll get to that in a moment, but I want you to notice this. Go back to Acts chapter 3. Peter was just going about his day. In verse number one, you'll find that Peter was just him and John. He said, hey, John, you want to go up to the temple? Well, it's the hour of prayer. Let's go up there. We'll have a prayer meeting. Just me and you. We'll pray and, uh, and we'll ask God to do things. In verse number one, look at what it says. Uh, Acts 3.1. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain lame man from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who seeing Peter and John, about to go into the temple asked in alm and Peter fastening his eyes upon him with John said look on us and he gave heed unto them expecting to receive something of them then Peter said silver and gold have I none but such as I give uh, such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth rise up and walk now Peter and John they were just going to the temple to pray. They didn't anticipate running into the lame man that day and healing him. Undoubtedly, uh, they, they, it was commonplace to have lame people and have people who were not able uh, to do things that would be begging along the way. We lived in Peru for, for many years, and, and it, was, it was commonplace. I mean, you saw beggars all the time. You saw people that, that would have no legs or have no hands or have, I'm just talking about serious need, and they had no way of, of making money. They would sit there by the, 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 the churches many times or in the plazas or wherever and have just a little cup out there, and people would go by and give them money. It was commonplace. And what I'm saying is there was nothing special about this day. There was nothing special about this situation. Uh, Peter and John would have gone up to the temple and any day they would have gone up, I'm sure that this lame man would have been laying there or other people who had been blinded or lamed or had other problems would have been there. This was nothing out of the ordinary about this day. 
And listen, if we're going to be effective for the Lord, we've got to be sensitive to the Spirit of God. And as Peter and John went up that day, you notice that this, this lame man asks them for money. And they stop. And Peter didn't have it in his mind when he got out of bed that morning. Well, got my breakfast. I think I'm going to go down to the temple. And on my way, I think I'm going to heal a fella. That, that wasn't what was Peter was thinking. He's like, man, I, I think I'm going to get John and we're going to go and have a prayer meeting. That's what he was thinking. And on his way, as he went, he encountered this lame man that called him out and said, hey, uh, do you have alms for the poor? Can you give us anything? And Peter, being a typical Baptist preacher with his pockets turned out empty, said, I, have, I don't have anything. He said, but of such have I, give I, as such as I have, give I unto thee. And then he called on Jesus Christ, and that man was healed. And we know, I, I, we don't have to go into uh, the idea that, that miracles were, were the signs uh, for, for that time for Judaism so that they could know, hey, God was moving from Judaism into Christianity. It was a, it was a temporal thing throughout the book of Acts. We find that, and, and we understand that I'm not by any means advocating that we go out and heal people tomorrow. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is Peter was sensitive to the Spirit of God as he went up to that temple. And there was something within him, the Spirit of God, that said, hey, I want you to help that man. And listen, we need to be sensitive to the Spirit in our life. Uh, listen, Peter's circumstances didn't dictate his spiritual walk with God. By that I mean this. You read through those two passages, you'll find Peter had, for all intensive purposes, a pretty bad day. Oh, the first part started out great. I mean, he went up to the temple, the lame man is healed. That was a good day. But, but it started to go downhill when, when all of these people started gathering around and they started attributing it to Peter and they started saying, wow, this Peter, he's a great guy. You know how Jesus walked and, and now, boy, we've got another guy and he's a great guy. Look with me in verse number 11 uh, and, and look at what it says there. Um, as he was going up, it says there in verse number 11, And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? In other words, uh, the questions started going around and the murmur uh, or maybe the noise in the crowd that was being heard was, hey, this man just did a great miracle and Peter very quick to recognize, hey, it's not me, but it's God. And he started to recognize, hey, these guys are going to raise me up in greatness and that's not what I'm looking for. And he started to, to say, hey, listen, why do you think by my power I did this? I didn't do this by my strength. I didn't do this by my holiness. This is not me. But it gets worse because uh, you go down to chapter 4 and you'll find that uh, the Bible says there in verse number 1, it says, and as they spake unto the people, well, go to verse number 2. Uh, those are all the people that gathered, uh, being grieved that they taught. Verse number 3. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold unto the next day. For it was now eventide. 
In other words, whatever took place took quite a bit of time. Peter has, Peter has watched a man be healed. Uh, Peter has preached to uh, all these people that had gathered around and, and now the religious leaders have gathered and, and they've taken Peter and they've taken John and for all intents and purposes, they've put him in a prison and locked him up. Now, at this point, you and I, I'd have probably been mad. Man, I just wanted to go to the temple to pray today. That's what my schedule was today. I didn't have plans on spending the night in jail. It was not in my schedule to do this. Matter of fact, I was supposed to go and do this or that on the next day. And, and boy, that went out the window. And now Peter's sitting in jail with John and being held for what? For healing a lame man and for preaching the gospel there at that group of people and attributing all the glory to God. And, and now he's sitting in jail, but I want you to notice this. When they call him out of jail and they bring him before the, the religious leaders, the Bible says there in verse number 8, the Bible says, Then Peter filled with the Holy Ghost. You know what? Peter was walking in the Spirit. And didn't allow the circumstances to dictate his spiritual condition. Many times when things don't go right, I would say, or when we're thrown in jail, but we're not thrown in jail. We don't even face half the problems they did. We get a flat tire or things don't go our way. And we automatically get out of the spirit, if I can say it that way. And our flesh takes over and we get aggravated and we're no longer walking in the spirit. Peter had this, this opportunity. He was thrown in jail, but he continued to walk in the spirit. And, and listen, look at what he says there uh, as he starts to preach to them. Go with me, save your spot here in Acts chapter four. Go with me to Ephesians chapter number four. Ephesians chapter number four and verse number 29. Ephesians 4.29, the Bible says this. Ephesians 4.29, he gives a whole list. We're kind of jumping in the middle of the list here, but, uh, but he's talking about putting off the things of the flesh and putting on the things of God. And he says there in verse number 29, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. I love that verse uh, because of eternal security. And he says, hey, you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Praise the Lord for eternal security. But he says in the first part, grieve not the Holy Spirit. In other words, we're sealed, we're saved, yes, but we can grieve the Holy Spirit. Look at what it says in verse number uh, 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. It's not very difficult to figure out that that whole list of things grieves the Spirit. And if we're in Peter's position and we're held overnight for healing a lame man, preaching the gospel, we probably are, are not going to be happy about things. 
perhaps we're going to have anger, perhaps we're going to have wrath, perhaps we're going to have even evil speaking or, uh, or bitterness or clamor or any of these things. And, and I think oftentimes in our life, hey, we grieve the Spirit. And I'm just saying this, that if we want to have powerful Christianity, we need to be careful not to grieve the Spirit. Now, we're not going to be perfect. I know that. I'm not perfect. I'm not saying and I'm not suggesting that you be perfect. What I am saying is when we have these things, when we have anger, when we have wrath, when we have evil speakings, when these things happen that, hey, we get it right, we say, God, I, I'm sorry, forgive me. I want to be a powerful Christian. I don't want my life to be hindered by these things in my life. And we move on. We have got to walk in the Spirit. The Bible says it this way in Galatians 5.16, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. In 5.25 it says, If ye live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And I'm just saying that day by day by day that we are to be aware of the spirit that dwells within us and that we ought to be sensitive to what he wants, sensitive to when we sin, that we would get it right, get it straight and continue on. And I'm just saying that's what Peter did. Peter had powerful Christianity. The rulers took note. The lame man took note. The crowd that was there took note about the power. And Peter was quick to say, hey, listen, it's not my power. It's not me. It's God. And he brings it up several times. We have got to, we've got to walk with Jesus. We have got to spend time with the Savior. We've got to walk in the Spirit. As he says there, uh, he was filled with the Spirit in verse number 8, even after all those bad circumstances. I want you to notice this in verse number 10. The Bible says, as these religious leaders were all gathered around and they were, gave Peter a moment to speak, look at what he says. Be it known, back in Acts 4.10, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of, the, of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name given under, uh, none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Lastly, I want you to notice, they boldly witnessed of the Savior. That lame man's life was changed. If you go back and read Acts 4.4, you'll notice about 5,000 people trusted the Lord that day. Now, I'm not advocating that we'll see 5,000 people saved. I'll tell you this, that there were, these, were, these were circumstances that, that were very unique. I mean, the majority of those people already believed in one God. Jehovah that created the heavens and the earth. The majority of them had kind of a, a similar religious background uh, to that which was being preached and, and they, were, they were already monotheistic. But I am saying this, that hey, we ought to have a boldness to witness for Jesus Christ every single day. I want you to notice this. 
It was not witnessing in Acts chapter 4 was not born out of a sense of duty. Peter did not go to John and say, hey, do you want to go with me? We're having visitation and let's go. No, no, no. That wasn't it. And I'm not against that. I think that's a good thing. But I will say this. They were witnessing every day that they went out. And as the Lord brought opportunity, they witnessed to this man. They witnessed to that crowd of people that had gathered to see Peter proclaim the gospel to those guys. As this religious crowd of leaders came and they, they, they had locked up Peter and thrown him in jail. Uh, listen, you know what Peter did? He witnessed to them and proclaimed Jesus Christ. He could have said, well, I'm innocent. I didn't do anything wrong. He didn't proclaim his own defense. He proclaimed the name of Jesus Christ everywhere he went. His witnessing was not born out of a sense of duty that said, well, Jesus told me that I had to proclaim the name of Christ everywhere I went, so I'm going to do that. That's not the heart of Peter. You know what the heart of Peter was? I love the Lord. I know what he did for me. I know what he can do for them. And I want them to know that Jesus Christ can change their life. It was not born out of a sense of duty. His witnessing had not, was not because of a, a program. And again, I'm not against programs. We go out and, and we do those things and we ought to. I, I believe it's biblical. I believe it's right. But listen, if that's the only time we go out, there's a problem. We ought to be witnessing every day. Witnessing is born out of a sincere desire to help others. You go back to, to Acts chapter 3, verse number 4. Look at what it says in Acts 3, 4. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, look on us. He saw that man and he said, man, I, that man needs help. What about that crowd in Acts chapter 3 and verse number 11 that had gathered around and said, man, look at this guy. And they were about to uplift Peter and say, Peter's the greatest thing and, and all of this. And, and Peter looked on them and thought, they need to know the Lord Jesus Christ is the one that did this and that Jesus Christ can change their life as well. Not of a desire to help them. He pointed them to Jesus Christ. The scribes, the Pharisees, all those guys that had gathered, the religious leaders, Caiaphas, and had gathered together against Peter to condemn Peter and, and find out what was going on. You know what he did? He looked at them and said, God can change their heart. God can make their life better than what it is. And he began to witness to them very strongly and very clearly. And he said, Jesus is the only one that can change lives. We find that witnessing is born out of a sincere desire to help others. Witnessing is a, is a sincere desire to proclaim Jesus Christ. That's what Peter did. Can I tell you this? If you're not walking with the Savior, and if you're not uh, walking in the Spirit, then you'll never witness of the Savior spontaneously out of a sense of true desire. Or you might do it out of a sense of duty. Well, I got to do this. Well, pastor said I should hand out tracts out of a sense of duty, but not out of a sincere desire to say, you know what? 
I love Jesus Christ because I've spent time with him and I know what he did in my life he can do for others and I want him to change other people. A sincere desire. And we find that Peter, that was Peter's life. Peter, Peter didn't have a specific time that they went out. And again, I'm not saying that's wrong. I think you ought to have a time. There's nothing wrong with that. But I am saying this, we ought to be witnessing all the time out of a sincere love for Jesus Christ. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed as we stand to our feet, powerful Christianity is born out of walking with the Savior, walking in the Spirit, and witnessing of the Savior. It's just going to come out. It's going to be automatic. When we have it in us, it's going to come out. God, I pray that you'd speak to hearts as only you can. God, I pray that you'd help us to seize the opportunities that we have before us every day to witness to other people. God, a, a Christianity that would influence this world. God, they, there were but 11 or 12 men, Father, and they turned the world upside down. What made the difference? Because they walked with you. Oh God, they spent time with you. God, they walked in the Spirit. They lived every day of their life driven, guided, dedicated to you, thinking about you. God, I pray that you'd help us to have powerful Christianity. God, that it would bubble over out of our life. God, that we would influence others for your honor, for your glory. God, that other people, that the world that's dying around us would see Jesus in our life. Oh God, that we could have the testimony of the disciples Maybe we are ignorant. Maybe we are unlearned. But God, I would that people would take knowledge that we have been with Jesus. That you've touched our life. And that you've made a difference. I pray, God, that you'd speak to each and every heart as only you can. Well, thank you for that. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. As the piano plays, the altar is open. I started out with a question, what kind of a Christian are you? Are you a powerful Christian? I'm not talking about perfect. There's none of us perfect. But do we walk with God? Do we walk in the Spirit? What kind of influence do we have? This world needs the Lord. It needed the Lord in Peter's day. It needed the Lord in Paul's day. It needs the Lord in 2023. We can't count on other people. We must be the people that will reach this world with the gospel. 
as the piano plays, the altar is open.